This episode of Let's Talk Period is brought to you by the Quendo app. Available now on the app and Google Play stores right across Australia and New Zealand. Record and track, we've got your back. Search Quendo in your app store today. Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Period, the podcast for people who want all things real, raw and reputable. Today I am speaking with the amazing Alini Gabrieldes. Alini is a sexual health promoter currently completing her master's in sexology. She is dedicated to educating others and smashing stigmas. Alini has cultivated a super engaged online following through her Instagram account, Sex Talk with Alini, where she smashes through those stigmas and breaks taboos on all things sex, intimacy, and communication with your partner. Today, we talk about what drove Alini to undertake her master's in sexology, her own experience of sex education in school, why people are getting a vagina facelift, period sex, and why there's so much shame around it, as well as her top tips for engaging in period sex, and so much more. This chat with Alini was absolutely amazing, and we could have continued on for ages. We hope that you love it as much as we loved recording it. Now, here's Alini. Hey, let's talk period. Hello, thank you for having me here. Uh, We can't wait to have you on the show and talk about all things sexual health and periods and all that good stuff. I love talking about this stuff, so I'm really keen as well. (laughs) Wonderful. So the way we start our episodes is we ask our guests the same question um, every time. And our first question we always ask is, what have you done to nourish your body today? So can you share with our listeners what you've done to nourish your body today? Definitely. I have to say I'm not the biggest, I guess, holistic health kind of person. I'm very rushed in my everyday life. I've got a lot going on. Um, So for me, it's just sleep. If I don't get enough sleep, I'm not very nice to be around generally. And I don't feel like it really throws off my whole body, my eating habits, my, my digestion, everything. So getting eight to nine hours sleep is really imperative for me. Um, so yeah, I got a good night's sleep last night. <laughs> Wonderful. That's always yeah. a great way to start the day. Yeah, yeah definitely. I was talking to um, one of the nutritionists who we work with yesterday and she was just talking about the importance of sleep again. So yeah, I think it's yeah. something people often overlook, but yeah. so important. So yeah, definitely. That sleep. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> From there, we usually talk about our morning routine. So do you yeah. have a specific morning morning routine or ritual that you do each morning or is every I, morning different? Uh, every morning is pretty the same. Like I said, I do like my sleep. So I try and sleep for as long as I can before I need to get up and go to work. Um, and where I live is quite cold. I live in Canberra. So it's we're getting into the colder mornings. So it's quite difficult to get out of bed just generally. Um, but I get up and have a warm shower to wake me up and warm me up and get straight into my giant dressing gown and just stare at my wardrobe until I figure out what to wear, as we do, Um, and then shove some food in my face, usually avocado on toast. Uh, But the thing I really enjoy doing, it sets me up for work, I listen to an audio book in the car on my way to work, um, which is really vital, I think, for me, just like 
hones in my focus for the day and is just a little bit of me time as well while I drive. So yeah, that's my thing. <laughs> what have you been listening to? What audiobooks have been on rotation? I have to say, I only just started this. I was usually just like podcast after podcast, but I drive for maybe just over an hour every day in total. So I was going through a podcast pretty quickly. <laughs> um, so at the moment I'm listening to Mating in Captivity by Esther Perel. Um, and next on the list, I haven't decided yet what I'm going to invest in. There's a book called Come As You Are that I'm really interested in. Um, and there is another book called The Ethical Slut that I'm interested in reading as well. There's just, I've got a big long list, so... We'll see oh, what I'm in the mood for. It's important to have a list of books that you want to read through next. <laughs> Definitely. And they're all on my shelf as well. I just never get time to actually read the physical copy. So I've decided that the car trip is my time to do yeah, that. Audiobooks so. <laughs> are great because I'm the same. I often don't have time to sit and read and I know I should make that time, but yeah. I'm a big fan of audiobooks too for that reason. Yeah, yeah definitely. I'm really yeah. enjoying it. It's amazing. Yeah. And Esther Perel is fabulous. So, of oh, course. She's yeah, she's changed my life. She is amazing. I want to be I, her. <laughs> oh, I follow her on Instagram and I always love when she comes up in my feed and I'm like, oh, yeah. Esther delivering some goodness again. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so with that, we have a health toolkit that we have to manage our health, whether we have a chronic condition or not. Mm-hmm. Um, so that can be made up of strategies or therapies or items that help us with our health on the daily. Is there something that you have in your health toolkit that you'd recommend to our listeners for them yeah. to include in theirs? Definitely. So I am fortunate enough that I've not been diagnosed with a chronic condition. Um, so I to just keep up, it's very boring. It's not a fantastic <laughs> like a tool, but it's just a really nice water bottle. Um, I like to keep a really large water bottle with me on my desk at work, just so it's always in front of my face and I always remember to drink water. Um, and I make sure it's one litre so I can track that I'm filling it up twice and getting two litres a day. Um, and it's just like a beautiful one. It's glass. It makes me feel nice when I drink it. Um, and it's just, I don't know, it keeps me in the habit of drinking water because I'm definitely the kind of person that if it's not in front of my face, I just won't drink anything all day. So that's my little hack. <laughs> Life hack is that. Yeah. Get yourself a nice water bottle that you want yeah. to drink out of. Yes. Yeah. Love definitely. It. Great suggestion. <laughs> <laughs> now let's dive into the good stuff. Um, yeah. You recently just mentioned on off mic that you are actually a cell working in a sexual health clinic and you're also studying sexology part-time was this sort of how did that sort of come about so were you always interested in sexual health from you know a teenage perspective was that something you're comfortable talking about as a teenager or how did that sort of all come about yeah so I was given a fantastic sex education from my parents Um, they really set me up well and then I had my formal education through primary school and high school and it was rubbish as most (laughs) people's education usually is um, surrounding sex and relationships and bodies and things like that Um, And because I'd had such a positive one from my parents, I was like, why is everything missing? Like they're just glossing over everything. And there were people around me in my class um, that didn't understand their own anatomy. So there's one story that really like set me up on this journey was a friend of mine 
um, went to the bathroom and came back and she kind of whispered to me in, in class and said, oh, isn't it so frustrating that you have to take out your tampon every time you pee? And I was like, no, no, you don't have to do that. This And I like drew an anatomy of a vulva and I was like, these are where the holes are. This is where the tampon goes. This is where you pee out or you don't need to waste a tampon every time you pee. <laughs> um, and I really enjoyed explaining that to her and she learned a lot as well. And I was also appalled that somebody my own age didn't understand her anatomy, which is not, no fault of her own. It was just her upbringing. Um, so that kind of got me thinking about it. And I was also following quite a lot of people through YouTube and Instagram, actually not so much Instagram at the time. It was still an upcoming platform, mostly yeah. YouTube, um, that were talking about sex online. And I, I started to realize that this was a career path that I wanted to go down. Um, so I approached my careers advisor in year 12 and I was like, I want to talk about sex, but I don't want to be a nurse. I don't really want to be a teacher. What are my options? And she said, you don't have any options. You can't, that's not a career that that's you can do. That's not a job. <laughs> yeah, that's not a job. So I went a completely opposite direction and did a communications degree um, and still kind of weasel sex and relationships and everything else like that back into my assignment. So anytime I needed to make a social media campaign or like business strategy or whatever, it was always about like sexual health or women's health or periods or like whatever I could like shove into the assignment. Um, and then I found that that health communication was its own kind of subsection. So I went down that route and then I found this sexology, the degree that I'm doing now that I didn't even know existed. Um, thank God I found it. It's the only one in Australia. <laughs> um, but yeah, so now I'm doing sexology. So I've always been really interested in the subject of sex and really curious and have no filter whatsoever. <laughs> I'm just very <laughs> open and honest and love hearing people's stories. Um, so it's just always something that I've known I wanted to do. So yeah. Yeah. Well, so you mentioned that school education was a little subpar and yeah. that's something we commonly hear on the podcast when we have people on they often speak about the lack of um education they received around periods but then I guess yeah. sex is that second layer for it's not really mentioned bar um you know this is the anatomy for females this is the anatomy for males mm -hmm. and then that's really it in with respect to like primary school and then yeah. high school's not that much different unless you do biology, I guess. Or yeah. um, I know at my school we had an STI talk right before we went on schoolies. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the paramedics came and spoke to us about STIs and wow. it was like a 40 minute like scare tactic showing Definitely. up gonorrhea and like don't have sex or you'll get pregnant <laughs> and die from me. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so can you sort of speak on why you think that is the case and why so many people in Australia have that experience and why that education isn't prioritised? Yeah, definitely. I think a lot of it has to do with our history um, and unfortunately uh, colonialism and religion have a very big role in this previously and it's just kind of made its way into the 21st century over time um so like I guess we're just so conservative in our views and I think we particularly when we're talking talking to children or to young people we have this um innocence kind of fragility uh image of children and that they can't handle certain 
things and that they'll never, you know, we look at children like they'll never be sexual beings, uh, which is definitely not the case because most of us do grow up to be sexual beings. Um, so I think everybody's just very, very careful about what we tell young people and children and it turns into just not telling them anything at all or at least telling them the very basics that doesn't really prepare them for anything or telling them completely wrong information as well you mentioned seeing the anatomy I was shown the anatomy of a vulva and it didn't have a clitoris in it so like there's things like that that we're actually telling people misinformation and making everything worse (laughs) than Mm. I think telling them knowing um so I think a lot of it comes from uh conservative countries in history that have colonialized sorry colonized my words today are not working have colonized lots of different countries and religion as well has definitely has its place all sorts of religion not just pinpointing one um in our culture and in our societies so it's just perpetuated and i do think we're moving out of it i i think uh over time particularly at the moment we are moving towards a very um, a more sex positive society I think we've been living in a sex negative society for, for far too long um, but it's just the way we move towards that as well because you, you could definitely argue that sex is in our media constantly like it's in our music it's in our popular culture we see this very um, raunchy kind of sex and I think that's what people are afraid of that if we start talking about sex education and sexuality that that's the level that's the extreme that we want to go down whereas actually most sex educators and sexologists and teachers and nurses just want to go down like the healthy road and be like this is what you'll actually experience this is how we treat each other as people and be respectful and and how we stay safer and and all that kind of thing so yeah it's kind of a lot of different things that perpetuate into this big narrative around you know, that we we make children these, like, innocent beings that can't have the capabilities to understand these kinds of things where it's actually not the case. So, yeah. Especially when you're coming towards the latter years of high school, you're about Definitely. 18 and yeah. you're legally allowed to consent to having... Exactly. Yeah, but um, we're not talking about yeah, it. And yeah. we're not talking about it. And so people have no idea, like you said, or they've got misinformation, like having to take a tampon out every time to go to the toilet. Like, yeah. Yeah. So just yeah. what further perpetuates that. And, you know, I feel like, like you said, we, that it is opening up, um, mm. but also allowing that space to talk about permission, to talk about boundaries, to talk about respect. Yeah. And, yeah maybe what sex looks like and doesn't look like as mm, well is definitely too. yeah absolutely and I think conversations around consent can start from like two years old to be honest that's my personal opinion it doesn't need to be sexual you know sexual consent just consent about sharing it's about consent about receiving a hug from a family member or a friend and tickling and like kisses on the cheek like fun games like children play can absolutely involve consent and I think people just exacerbate this idea that you know we're going to teach really young kids how to masturbate and do explicit things that it's definitely not on the cards when we talk about sex education (laughs) so yeah definitely and I I really think that idea of consent is so important especially from a young age um, in particular with consenting to hugs and hand-holding and things like that Mm. um in the like I'm a teacher as well and so I have primary education as my background and Mm. I remember when I was on prac um one of my mentor teachers was like explicit on making the kids all hold hands and they always had to hold each other's hands even if they didn't want to 
Mm. And it's sort of like that idea of being forced into something that's not exactly imperative from such a young age. It's sort of, yeah. Yeah. So I think it's super important to start educating. So when I got into the classroom, that was something that I was really keen on saying, like, you don't need to hold your partner's hand. Like you can just walk beside your partner. You don't need to. Oh, good on you. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) No, I think it's definitely a space that can be improved upon and I'm glad to see we're getting somewhere with it. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you. (laughs) No, of course. And with regards to your sexology degree, is there a particular path that you want to go down when you finish or is there? Yeah, Um, I'm very interested in sex education. So I would love to be a sex educator. Um, I'm also really interested in the whole like sex tech space, so sex technology, looking at sex toys and and other objects that aid us in our sexual lives. Um, So I'm really curious about kind of making that more accessible to people as well because I think there's a lot of shame and stigma around sex toys and a lot of physical adult stores are very, um, I guess, creepy feeling or they're very claustrophobic and they feel really inaccessible in a lot of ways. So I would really like to try and figure out a space that I can create that feels really welcoming to people. Um, But also the degree prepares me for therapy as well. So I can also go go down that route if I want to. So there's a lot of options that are open to me. And I don't know, I've started the degree on an education kind of pathway, but things may change. I've got no idea. So, yeah. Exactly. You just sort of (laughs) take it in and see where it leads you. Definitely, yeah. And I'm surrounded by so many amazing people, my peers and the teachers as well are just fantastic. So it's a lot of inspiration going around. And you mentioned that it's a very negative space sometimes sex and you know I feel like that's the case and a lot of people would view it that way Mm. you have an Instagram account called sex talk with Alini um yeah why did you start that Instagram what was your reasoning behind that yeah so I was having a bit of a reflection a couple of years ago just generally about social media and I wasn't using Instagram for my own purposes all that much um I didn't really like the whole highlight reel aspect of it. It was making me feel really uncomfortable. Um, And I was having these kinds of conversations about sex, like random little facts about bodies and how things work and that kind of thing to friends or like my colleagues at work who were interested. And I kind of thought like, why can't I use my Instagram account? That was like already a personal account. I was like, it doesn't matter. I'll just like change it and start putting little fun facts about like sexual health or our bodies and, and things like that in the captions and then that kind of adapted into what it is now, which is more like consistent posting, which is a lot more than I signed up for, but I'm doing it anyway. Um, (laughs) And um, yeah, going through all different types of topics. And I just, I just wanted to contribute to the conversation and use this social media account that I didn't really know what I was doing with it. I wanted to use it for like a public good, I guess, in quotation marks and try and dispel some of the myths that are around on the internet. And I also wanted to make it a little bit more accessible. I feel like people can, I don't know, they're just scrolling through Instagram like they usually do when they're bored at like 6 p.m. at night and they can come across a little fun fact that they had no idea. Maybe it's even about something that they have in their body or their partner's body or they can go to the doctor about something that they didn't know wasn't actually normal and they've been dealing with their whole lives, like things like that. So, yeah, that's why. (laughs) I love that. And have you been able to create an impact? Like what's been the biggest highlight so far of having that Instagram account? Like have you built an amazing community? Has 
pe- have people come to you like thanking you for your um, information that you've been giving out? What kind of an impact have you been able to create? Yeah, I receive the most beautiful messages sometimes. Um, I've had people co- it, like disclose STI diagnoses to me or um, previous sexual assaults to me as well um, in my messages and they're always so supportive of what I have to say and are always really grateful that I'm speaking out on certain topics. The thing that sticks out to me though, when I did a week on labia um, last year, I think uh, when I started the week, I just kind of was searching the hashtags um, on Instagram before I even started and, and found that the hashtags for labia menorah were completely overrun by like plastic surgery companies and things like that with a lot of before and after images and it was very like shameful in a lot of ways about showing what kind of labia menorah are like in quotes bad or unhealthy and what the labia menorah should look like and I was appalled so I started um labia week and was talking all about labia and how they come in all different sizes and colors and shapes and all that kind of stuff and I get really passionate and excited about the look of the vulva because I think people are really insecure for no reason um and I like that week in particular gained so much attention and I had lots of people commenting and messaging me being like this has helped me so much like with my confidence and self-worth and um now when you look at the hashtags like because my posts somehow got heaps of attention through the hashtags. Now they're like up the top. Um, when you search for like labia menorah in the hashtags, it's like right up there amongst all the plastic surgeons being like, you should cut your labia for no reason. Um, so I'm really happy that my post is up there being like, your labia are beautiful. Like unless they're hurting you, there's nothing wrong with them. Um, so yeah, that was a really big moment for me personally. So that's beautiful. And, you know, there is that rising trend of like a vagina facelift and going yeah. and getting, I don't know why, but going and getting it, you know, to be looking more Instagram perfect. Yeah. And I say that with quotation marks, massive yeah. quotation marks around that. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, why do you think there's been such a rise in those types of surgeries? Yeah, so... Um, First of all, uh, the, in uh, the classification, the Australian classification in media, in unrestricted media, so things that are below M15+, plus, um, they cannot show genitals with emphasis in quote marks like that's, or, or that are, um, I guess, offensive. And they, they use certain words. Most of it's like emphasis, no genital detail, that kind of thing. And in practice, that means that, um, anyone who wants to be classified, um, who's like, you know, movies, magazines, anything, um, they need to edit out um, genital emphasis. So with vulvas, that includes the, um, any protruding labia minora and also the clitoris. Um, so when we see vulvas in media, so like the sealed section in Dolly and Cosmo magazines, that kind of stuff, they either have to be stylized, so illustrated or artworks and things like that, or they needed to be airbrushed or blurred in a certain way or like photoshopped out um which is just disgusting and I think a lot of people don't know about that and don't know that that's actually in our government law (laughs) Um, I didn't know that yeah yeah, I'm sitting here like what (laughs) yeah so it's um legislated that we we can't see that unless we're over 15 years old um so I do think that that legislation in our like that 
completely governs what we see in our media has a massive contribution as to how we reflect on our bodies because that's you know how we see normal Mm. people don't look we don't really look at other people's vulvas all that often because they're really tucked away like they're not like you know people with penises who might be peeing in in urinals and that kind of thing um so if you're just seeing other people's vulvas maybe in pornography or in magazines or things like that and you see a really tidy perfect little barbie looking vulva and you compare it to your own of course you're going to think it looks wrong because that's all you know to be normal i guess um so i think it's that (laughs) um and i think as well because those uh laws also govern um not necessarily explicit pornography most pornography falls into x18 which is restricted so it doesn't govern that kind of thing but it does restrict um softcore pornography so things like playboy and other magazines that aren't restricted um so it's generally just like models posing and things like that it's not so explicit content those classification laws also like cover those types of mediums as well so the models that we see there also have those barbie looking vulvas so it's just kind of a catch-22 and then you know you see more and more that the people that are that are porn performers and models and things like that, a lot of them have had those surgeries themselves. So the people that we are seeing, if we are watching porn, we're just seeing that reflected again. So it's just everywhere, you know. Mm. And there's so many aspects of sex and both female and male anatomy that are considered to be shameful or you know, they are taboo, like no one talks about them. And exactly, yeah. Yeah. And especially like sex, you know, I feel like, like you're saying with the pornography aspect, there's only kind of one type of sex that's sort of shown or spoken about. One type of body as well. So, yeah. And I think if, you know, um, the people with vulvas themselves aren't necessarily watching the porn, maybe their partners are watching porn or other people they know are watching porn. So that whole narrative is, is reflected back to them socially as well. So it's all of that. And we're not shown vulva diversity in school either i would love 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 to have been shown all different kinds of labia (laughs) but we're not showing that we're just usually shown diagrams and things like that so true now let's dive into period sex yes (laughs) yeah Yeah. let's talk all about that (laughs) um something that is a bit not i get i'm sick of saying the word taboo and shameful but (laughs) something that's not talked about very often or if it is talked about it's considered to be maybe dirty or gross Mm. or not something that's brought up very often why do you think that is and you know why is there so much shame around period sex Mm. well i think for one, there's a huge taboo around periods. We know that. You guys talk about that all the time. Um, and just in general, in all different countries for all different reasons, bleeding seems to be this disgusting thing. Um, I remember when I was in primary school and I was given my first education about periods. I should say my formal, my first formal education. All of the girls we were given like clean tampons and pads to hand around and they were like flinging it to each other like a volleyball because they didn't even want to touch it they were like ew yuck this is so gross there was nothing on the pad or the tampon it was like brand new nothing wrong with it and that narrative has just continued forever (laughs) um, about for whatever reason menstrual products and menstruation just being like generally a gross thing um which I think that is changing with time in in the media and things like that. We're now seeing ads that have red period blood rather than like blue liquid, which is fantastic. I love it. 
um, and more acceptance of things like menstrual cups and other sustainable period products as well, which is fantastic. Um, so there's a big taboo around menstruation and there's a giant taboo around sex and sexuality. So combined, it's just a huge concoction of shame and stigma and negativity. Um, I think a lot of people have uh, just generally this idea that messy sex equals gross sex, um, which is obviously not necessarily the case. We have all sorts of body fluids that come out during sex, you know, our sweat, our discharge, semen, and period blood as well, um, and female ejaculation, I should say that too. Um, but, yeah, so I think there is just generally this huge stigma about messy sex, um, whereas there are plenty of ways in period sex to, like, control the mess if you want to um, or at least make it easier to clean up for yourself. So I'm happy to go through those with, yeah, <laughs> with you if you want. I've got some tips. Yeah. Um, yeah, so I guess first of all, like, um, you may not want to have sex on your period and that's totally fine as well. Like I don't want to be a huge advocate. Like you must be having period sex because it's amazing because no, not necessarily. And I experience period pain and I know that I also experience nausea during my period. So I, I absolutely know that you don't always want to be having sex on your period. It's probably the like last time that some people want to be having sex. Um, but also it might be the best time because we know that um, our hormones make us really horny just in general around our period it's a time that a lot of people find they're really aroused um so i guess first step is if you need to put a towel down put a towel down or like a dark material that you don't mind getting some blood on um and that you can just chuck in the wash straight away um condoms is a really great way to keep things a little cleaner um if you're having sex with someone with a penis or with a dildo or that kind of thing if you're using a condom you can just like chuck it in the bin at the end and you don't need to deal with that um as well there is products like um a menstrual disc and a menstrual sponge and they sit quite high up in the vaginal canal right below the cervix and they catch all the blood and they can't be felt during sex um so you can have penetrative sex with those products in you also don't need to participate in penetrative sex as well that's something that i advocate for a lot is that we have this idea that sex is like the full course menu every single time and not necessarily for me, at least. I think sex can be defined in whatever way that you choose to. I include masturbation in my definition of sex. I think oral sex is sex. I think digital sex, so using hands and things like that is sex. You know, whatever it is that you choose to be sex is sex, an erotic massage, you know, dirty talk, whatever. Um, so not you don't have to be doing penetrative sex necessarily you could be wearing a tampon or a menstrual cup or keeping your undies on during the whole thing and you don't actually need to go anywhere near your vagina necessarily um and you could just be doing you know vulval stimulation and stimulating by hands or mouths and that kind of thing um other ways gravity is something to keep in mind so <laughs> keeping positions keeping in positions that keep your cervix not necessarily upright and keeping the blood not in a position that it may like just come out very quickly. So maybe staying on your back or in your stomach, maybe not being upright in upright positions on your knees and things like that. Um, what else? I feel like I've just rattled on through. I want to say as well that um, orgasms and sexual pleasure can relieve period pain too. And the oxytocin that's released can make us way happier. So it can relieve all of our, moody symptoms if we've got any as well which I certainly get a lot of um so there's a lot of benefits that come with period sex but 
it is really up to you and if you feel comfortable um, with having messy sex and your partner as well. I've definitely been with people that have the kind of reaction to blood that makes them very, very nauseous and pass out. So period sex was definitely off the menu 100% of the time. But um, I guess don't really make assumptions about your partners as well. Like your partner might be actually totally okay about period sex and it might just be your internalised shame that you've, you know, um, collected maybe from society and from your family and friends and things like that that comes from having a period. Um, so just challenging those views and, and trying to question why it is that you feel that way about a, a completely normal body function. Um, so, yeah, they're my tips. <laughs> yeah, definitely I think about communicating with your partner is so important. I think a yeah. lot of people um, forget how important communication is and lots of people don't even like talking about normal sex. So mm, definitely yeah. opening up that conversation and talking with your partner and finding out their ideas, their thoughts, their beliefs, and then you can work together to sort of find what works best for both of you. Yeah, absolutely. Communication is key to most of our problems. So, yes. <laughs> <laughs> what would you like to see change in the female health field? Yeah, I... This is a huge question because there's so much. There's so much. I think we're very far behind where we should be. Um, but I honestly think that having conversations and you know, furthering our education and making sure that our educators are fully equipped with all of the good information um, will solve a lot of our problems. Um, I think that it, you know, having conversations about ourselves and our experiences will potentially reduce things like um, the amount of time it takes to get diagnosed with chronic conditions like endo and PCOS and things like that. I think it will help women to own their sexuality a little bit more. So, reducing the orgasm gap and, um, you know, in, in introducing the use of condoms a little bit more into our casual sex life if we're having that, um, which might reduce STI rates and things like that too. Um, yeah, it's just like visiting the doctor when you know what's normal is a really good one as well. Like I think the more that we talk about this stuff makes us realise that maybe what we're experiencing isn't normal and we maybe shouldn't be putting up with pain every time we have sex or excruciating pain every time we have a period and that kind of thing. So I think having these open and honest conversations a little more um, will help us a whole lot in our health um, and, yeah. So true. Yeah, agree. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What's a piece of advice that you would like to give to your youngest self? Uh, another big question. Um, I guess, number one, because that experience happened to me where I went up to my careers advisor and I was like, I want to talk about sex. And she was like, no, that's not an option for you. Um, I guess I, I want to tell my younger self that authority figures don't necessarily know it all. Um, and just generally adults, like we, nobody as adults knows everything. <laughs> We're all just trying our best. Um, but I definitely think that as a child and as an adolescent, you view teachers and doctors and um, even your parents and, and other adults in your life um, like they know everything. And I think that's also a reason as to why it takes so long for people to be diagnosed with chronic conditions too because we just listen to our doctors like they they know every single thing and we've never been told that maybe we can challenge the views of our 
you know, of the people that are in authority figures to us, um, or at least do a little bit more in searching when we're told no or told that you're crazy or <laughs> whatever it is. Like it's all in your head. Um, so just keeping on that bandwagon and, and keep looking for the answers that make you feel like um, like you truly belong or like you're going to where you need to be or getting the answers and help you need and, and things like that. So, yeah. Mm. And what's coming up next for you, Eleni? Um, I am in a big assignment period at the moment. So like <laughs> just buckling down and doing that. Um, coming up next, I'm writing a few things for a few different um, organizations and companies. I don't know if I can talk about that kind of stuff yet, but just kind of plodding along with um, my Instagram and I don't know, it's just this year is a, is a pretty wild one with what's happening. So I'm just trying to like stay focused with what I'm doing and stay yeah. on track. Um, I'm, yeah, I don't know. Things happen very quickly in my life. They kind of just appear and then I'm doing it and it's over. And yeah, so we will see. But have a look at my Instagram. I'll keep that updated with what I'm doing. So. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. And we will definitely <laughs> share your handle and link it in our show notes with our following so they can go and get educated and, yeah. you know, scroll through their feed and get a little nugget of wisdom from you <laughs> when you post about a topic. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> of course. Is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners today? Oh, goodness. Um, I can't really think of anything, but you guys do a wonderful job on this podcast. I have learned so much, particularly just from personal stories. Um, it's just such an accessible way to hear people's experiences of, you know, chronic conditions and women's health and periods and all that kind of stuff. Um, and it's exactly what I'm talking about, right? Like the more experiences you hear, you realise that maybe your own isn't quite normal or yours is your own normal or it just helps a lot in like framing your own experience. So thank you for what you guys do. <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Alini. It's been so beautiful talking and learning with you. Oh, thank you. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Period. If you loved listening to all the things Alini had to say and you want to learn even more from her, you can follow her on Instagram at sextalkwithalini. If you want to keep updated with what we're up to, you can follow us over on Instagram at Let's Talk Period AU. Also, a shameless plug, but our Quendo app has just launched on the Australian and New Zealand app and Google Play stores and you can download it right now. Record, track, journal, and understand your symptoms. Communicate with your care team. It is not just a period tracker. The Quendo app has your back. You can download it now via the links in our show notes or search Quendo in your app store. Let's Talk Period is an independent podcast, so if you did enjoy this episode, we would love if you could please subscribe on Apple or follow us on Spotify. And the best way you can help us out is to spread the word. So show us how you're listening. Tag us on Instagram or Instagram stories. Share it with your family and friends. Tell someone about it. This helps us get the word out and it helps people find our little independent podcast. Let's Talk Period is a production of Quendo, a non-for-profit organisation supporting anyone affected by endometriosis, adenomyosis, PCOS or infertility. Let's Talk Period is produced for educational purposes only and the information, recommendations or topics talked about does not constitute medical advice or take into consideration your personal circumstances or medical history.